The Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 2021 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. If you enjoy the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast, check out our monthly webinar series sponsored by the Walton Family Foundation. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion webinar series are free monthly webinars offering professional and organizational skill building opportunities in diversity, equity, and inclusion topics featuring presenters from industries around the globe. Learn more about our webinar series and to register for upcoming webinars at forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash webinar. Donate to the forum. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast series brought to you by Best Buy. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. We're really looking forward to today's podcast, a liberated love note for Black folks in DEI when doing the work no longer feels like enough, with Brittany Harris of the Winters Group. In this episode, Brittany J. Harris, also known as Brittany Janae, shares a thoughtful note of affirmation and loving accountability to Black folks working in DEI. The toll of working in DEI while Black is well documented, and there are not many spaces that center the healing and nurturing that this toll calls for, particularly as Black practitioners work to dismantle the very same systems they too are impacted by. Brittany uses a conversation that came up in a 2021 Forum on Workplace Inclusion conference workshop to set context for this episode and offers to Black practitioners critical reflections and affirmations around three words, clarity, ease, and collective. As part of this episode, listeners will be encouraged to unpack internalized anti-Blackness and capitalism by disrupting the lie that our bodies are merely tools for production, that our work is our worth consider the imperative of boundaries and how we show up in the in community and reflect on what it means to embody an abundance mindset that serves as a gateway to the power in the collective. Brittany shares her reflections on these topics and offers insights into what she refers to as her own interpersonal reckoning in hopes that it is a possibility for others. Brittany J. Harris is Vice President of Learning and Innovation with the Winters Group. In her role, Brittany partners with leaders and organizations to design learning experiences that shift perspectives, change hearts, and empower action in service of equity, justice, and inclusion. She leads the Winters Group's broader learning solution strategy and since joining the team in 2016, has evolved the firm's portfolio to center equity and social justice. Brittany is the creator of Liberated Love Notes, Critical Self-Reflections and Affirmations for the Culture, which was recently adapted into a weekly podcast show that centers the healing affirmations and experiences of Black people thriving in white spaces. Hey y'all, this is Brittany J. Harris, 
also known as Brittany Janae. And I am a black woman, mother, sister, caregiver. I am a perpetual wonderer, y'all. And that's just my most recent reframe of an overthinker, a truth teller, an advocate for justice and radical self-love. I am constantly learning, unlearning, relearning, and committed to being possibility for what it means to show up as one's most liberated self. By day, y'all, I'm vice president of learning and innovation at the Winters Group, which means I have the distinct pleasure of partnering with our instructional designers and facilitators consultants, leaders, and organizations to design learning experiences that shift perspectives, change hearts, and empower action in service of equity, justice, and inclusion. Y'all, I'm the creator of Liberated Love Notes, Critical Self-Reflections, and Affirmations for the Culture, an affirmation card deck for Black folks, which is an extension of my practice grounded in my personal desire for Black folks to not just stay woke, but stay whole as we exist in systems not created with us in mind. Y'all, I'm tuning in from the Baltimore, Maryland area, land originally stewarded by and stolen from the Susquehannock and Piscataway tribes. More than anything, I am grateful experiencing a sense of gratitude that you could be spending time in any way, doing anything, and yet you've carved out time to be in virtual community with me. I don't take it lightly, and I appreciate you for it. I want to set some context on today's episode (laughs) before we even jump in. And so, During the the 2021 Forum on Workplace Inclusion, I had the pleasure of facilitating a bomb session, y'all, with my brilliant sister, friend, Shavara Oren. The session was entitled Beyond Empathy, a call for white humility in response to Black rage. A rich and powerful discussion it was, y'all. And if you haven't already done so, I think you can actually go check it out the recordings, we did some caucus work, which means we carved out space and time for black and brown and other people of color to be in community with each other, engage in intra-group dialogue, holding space for these practitioners, black and brown practitioners to engage without the burden of the white gaze. And for white folks, we did the same, held space for them to be in community with each other, for them to interrogate, reflect, and work through the messiness, the muddiness, the harm caused by by whiteness. Y'all, we discussed and unpacked white supremacy, injected and internalized oppression, the interconnectedness of anti-blackness, colonialism. We named the trauma caused by these systems. And more specifically, where DEI fits in unraveling the impact. There was a Black woman practitioner who asked a compelling question 
A question that I found to be poignant and relevant to the contents of this episode, y'all, she asked, do you believe DEI work can truly unravel, undo, heal the impact of colonialism and white supremacy? Do you believe this work can ever truly, DEI work truly reverse the impact of colonialism? And as y'all can imagine, that's a heavy question. I am a little curious about how y'all how y'all might answer that question. And so I'm gonna give y'all just a little pause to process and think through it for yourself. Do you believe DEI can unravel, undo, heal the impact of colonialism and white supremacy? A Black woman practitioner, y'all, do you believe this work can reverse the impact that colonialism has had on us. How might you respond? I might even ask you to hit me up on LinkedIn. <laughs> share whatever you came up with. I'll show I'll share now though that my response, my response to that question, those questions was no. But I I just stop at a no. It's never just a no. If you follow me on other mediums, you already know that there's almost always an and coming. And so I shared with this Black woman and the rest of the group that no, I don't believe DEI work can reverse the impact of colonialism and white supremacy. And <laughs> I do believe DEI is is critical harm reduction work. No, I don't believe DEI and its mainstream orientation can heal the impact of colonialism and white supremacy. And I do believe Black people in community with each other can heal from the ways we've been harmed and traumatized by these systems. That's just my take, y'all. Really the premise of this episode, I do want to offer as a disclaimer that anything I share here are my personal reckonings, my thoughts. They are not intended to be model, the end-all, be-all, the right way, though the embrace of binaries in white supremacy culture, our dominant culture, might suggest so. And so I like to use the language of being possibility, maybe, not model, possibility. Back to the session, there was another participant that in response to my response shared that she had an aha moment. And I'm a paraphrase what she she shared in, in chat. She said, you know, Britt, Shavar, I think I've been confusing doing this work as a way to heal. And I'm noticing that it really isn't that fulfilling. What I mean is this work, while important, is not personally restorative as I hoped. And y'all, talk about a mic drop in the chat. Talk about the kind of aha moments I be living for. She said, I think I've been confused in doing this work as a way to heal. 
but it really isn't that fulfilling. What I mean is this work, while important, is not personally restorative as I hoped. Mm. This here brings me to the contents of today's episode, y'all. I hope y'all appreciate context. (laughs) What happens when doing the work no longer feels like enough? What happens when we conflate this deeply important reparative harm reduction work as tactic for the deeply personal spiritual restorative work we truly need to be gauging in, engaging in for us, not for purposes of martyrdom or saving others or educating white folks, but for us. And so right now, today in this moment, this is my love letter. This is my liberated love note to Black folks in DEI who have considered opting out when doing the work no longer feels like enough. My dear sister, brother, sibling, loving elder who've been doing this work longer than I've been on this earth. Let me first just affirm and honor you, your being, certainly your work because you doing it, but more importantly, your worth. I want to affirm that you are worthy, like you're inherently worthy. And this worth and worthiness that I speak of ain't qualifiable. It just is. No title, no position, no Fortune 500 company, no leader, no client, no top 50, under 50, or whatever kind of list. (laughs) No reporting structure to the CEO book deal, nor thought paper salary defines the inherent worth that I'm speaking of. This worth I speak of ain't defined by your productivity. And I think that is worth overstating. Why? Well, I mean, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir here. And I'm, I mean, you, you may even already know this. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with remixing the tune every now and again. And I just want to want to keep some of what I'm about to share top of mind. You see, anti-Blackness and capitalism would have us believe our bodies are not ours, nor are we human, that we are merely tools for production. The trauma we hold in our bodies, the experiences lived by our ancestors, And as much as we strive to forget, oh baby, the body remembers. And I'm here to affirm, and I believe it's why, that's why it's even more important to affirm that our bodies are our own. Your body is your own. You are human. You are a whole human being, not a human doing. I love it when our ancestor Lucille Clifton reminds us that in the bigger scheme of things, the universe is not asking us to do something. 
the universe is asking us to be something. And that's a whole different thing. You know, y'all like to consider Lucille Clifton as one of my intellectual foremothers. Part of what I heard that the Coco Zatatu Selassie referred to as part of an ancestral board of directors. And so sis, brother, sibling, loving elder, I wonder who that is for you. Because I think that matters. Who are you accountable to in your spiritual and intellectual lineage? Who keeps you grounded? I'm just curious. And I might ask that you just sit with that for a little bit. Who and what must you remember to show up as your truest, wholest, most liberated self today? I ask in the most loving of way possible because this remembering work has been part of what I've called my intra personal reckoning. While we're experiencing this much more broader cultural <laughs> racial reckoning, y'all, I'm in my corner, bro, sis, sibling, loving elder. I'm in my corner of the world engaging in this intrapersonal reckoning over the past year. This learning, this unlearning, this relearning. And I can honestly say it has had implications for how I see myself, how I exist in community, how I lead, how I understand and show up in our work, D-E-I. And I want this for you too, for all of us. And I know engaging in that work, that healing and unlearning work can feel elusive, particularly when you're doing the work and service of others. Still though, we deserve. And so brother, sister, sibling, loving elder, I've been trying to do that for myself over the past year and some change. And believe me when I say, I don't have it figured out, but this journey, this journey has been it's been hitting different. And so I want to share with you some of what I've been processing with hopes that you find relief, perhaps restoration, a seed, a seed to plant on fertile soil as you carve out your own path towards healing, whatever that looks like for you. And so I got three words for you. Clarity, ease, collective. Clarity, ease, collective. Now, I'm just hoping some of these nuggets are particularly useful for those moments when you feel like opting out because <laughs> doing this work no longer feels like enough. Clarity. At the top of 2021, I petitioned to God and our ancestors, my request for greater clarity, more specifically clarity in my understanding of purpose, 
practice and profession. I don't know about you, but it can be easy to conflate those three things, particularly when you're doing good work, purposeful work, personal work, life-changing work. I'm curious if you can relate. And so clarity for me meant unlearning this notion that my work is my worth. And I want this for you too. Brother, sis, sibling, loving, elder, you are not your work. Your work is not your worth. In fact, <laughs> and I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again, you are inherently worthy. There are no prerequisites. Why is this important? Because even though even though I'm engaging in good work, even though you are engaging in good work, this work is not all that you are. It is not who you are. It is what you do. And so <laughs> when the work is under attack, I know that does not suggest deficiency in me. And so when the work is under attack, that does not suggest deficiency and you, when the work is no longer vogue or the flavor of the month, I know that my purpose and values will remain unmoved. And so when the work is no longer vogue, the flavor of the month, you know that your purpose and values still stand. When the work feels insufficient. I know that I am always enough. When the work feels insufficient, I want you to know that you are always enough. That's because we are not our work. I am not my work. You are not your work. When I petition for clarity, I petition for clarity and peace. Clarity and peace around the limitations of my work. Because everything and everyone ain't my work. And at the same time, I affirm my gratitude for the infinite depths of my power. Because even though everything and everybody ain't my work, I'm still powerful as an empath and helper. Clarity around the limitations of my work is important. And I'm wondering if you can relate in my experience. When you're going hard in the paint for everyone, you know, for the people, I have found that I can really end up creating unrealistic expectations for myself and others, right? When we're doing work for the people, perhaps our empathicness in access leads us to creating unrealistic expectations for ourselves and others. The thing is, 
holding space for others shouldn't be conflated with carrying their burdens. You feel me? And so brother, sister, sibling, loving elder, I actually want to gift you, gift you with this affirmation I wrote for my dang self <laughs> that gets at this, that gets at this call for clarity, clarity around the limitations of my work. And it reads, I am loving. I am gracious. I am invested in the growth of those with whom I am in relationship. And I will not internalize or own others' work as my own. They are not my work. I'm going to read that again and affirm that for you. You are loving. You are gracious. Yes, you are invested in the growth of those with whom you are in relationship and community. And <laughs> there goes that and you will not internalize or own others work as your own. They are not your work. Mm. We hold space. We don't carry burdens. I've experienced freedom in this clarity. And so I'm curious, what does clarity look like, feel like, sound like for you? Because brother, sister, sibling, love, and elder, that's what I wish and hope for, particularly when doing the work no longer feels like enough. And let me talk to you a little bit about ease. That was clarity. Let's talk about ease. Ease. So in the same season of setting this intention around clarity, I made a promise to myself to strive to move and make decisions from a place of ease, not urgency. <laughs> because purposeful work, entrepreneurial aspirations should not equate to burnout. Y'all, I just feel like I deserve, you deserve, we deserve better. And <laughs> capitalism and white supremacy make this feel out of reach. And so in some ways, commitment to ease is resistance. And if you ask me, there is something divine about that. You know that saying we all grew up hearing, you know, you got to work twice as hard. That saying is real and I get it. I actually respect the protection and <laughs> I am reframing that these days. And so I have a, another affirmation in the spirit of ease and if, in the spirit of a reframe that I'm going to offer to you that I also wrote for my dang self. There are some days I will choose to work twice as hard. Other days, they're going to get what they're going to get. <laughs> Always my best effort is enough. My best effort is enough. I am enough. I'm going to say it again and 
and affirm it for you. There are some days that you will choose to work twice as hard. And I use the language of choice because that's agency right there. Other days, they're going to get what they're going to get because balance. Always your best effort is enough. Your best effort is enough. You are enough. Ease, y'all. I say easy, but ease. This intention around ease also calls for, or is called for me to interrogate how I've come to define success, commitment, value, hard work. It's called me, it's calling for us to think more critically and lovingly about how we show up in community with each other. And sure, I'm talking workplaces, but I'm talking in our homes, our families, our communities. Liberation is a lifestyle. <laughs> and so I think about the Simone Biles and the Naomi Osaka and Dr. Nicole Hannah-Jones, how they've garnered such mainstream attention as they offer us possibility around what it means to assert boundaries, model self-love, refuse, mm -hmm. and it leaves me wondering, as I hope it does you, about the implications for our day-to-day, -day. what I mean by that. Y'all, there are Black people, Black women in our everyday, people with whom we are in community, who deserve the same support when they too own their agency, model self-love, sense of care, and honor their boundaries. I chuckled a few weeks back <laughs> and shared in conversation that it's all fun and it's all fun and games and retweets and hashtags until you know someone we know. Someone in community with us models that same radical self-love, asserts their boundaries, and we experience inconvenience as a result. I know from experience that hit different. And reconciling that, that like, wow, they just set a boundary or like, wow, they just told me no. And like, wow, they are choosing themselves in ways that I have not been able to for myself. It hit different. And that reconciliation, that's that interpersonal reckoning, y'all. And so I might offer a few questions for reflection I've been sitting with for myself as it relates to ease and how I honor and understand boundaries and self-love in others. What interpretations? Am I making of how this person is showing up in love for self? What is my reaction saying about me or where I might be hurt or experiencing some unresolved trauma, insecurity, injected oppression? How might I actually be perpetuating harm by not honoring one's boundaries and instead punishing them for it? I think it's worth stating that our blackness does not make us 
immune to injecting and internalized forms of white supremacy and toxic capitalism. Rest, care, radical self-love, ease, that work, that work is communal. And in as much as it may start with how we see ourselves, the culture and practice around this supports us, if you ask me, in creating healthier, stronger, being more mindful in community. And I legit want more of this. And so ease, ease y'all. What does that look like for you? What does that feel like for you? What does that sound like for you? Because brother, sister, sibling, loving, elder, that's what I want. That's what I want for you, particularly when doing the work no longer feels like enough. That's clarity. That's ease. And so, y'all, when I petition for clarity and ease, I also reaffirmed the power and collective. And so I'm going to leave you with this one ahead of our close. Collective, collective, collective. I affirmed and asked our ancestors to hold me accountable to remembering that my impact, my purpose could only be fortified in community, which is pretty radical in a culture heavy on, on the individualism, <laughs> right? I affirmed and asked our ancestors to hold me accountable to remembering that my impact, my purpose could only be fortified in community. That my impact, my purpose would be a manifestation of the power and brilliance that exist in the collective. Community, y'all. When I think about community in the context of our work, I think about the, the heavy lift that is community building. I think about how community building requires trust and how that right there mm, in the context of system is nuanced, it's complex, it takes work, especially within the institutional context. And so for my folks doing this work internal, I think about how our proximity to power, leadership, whiteness can create healthy suspicion. And I call it healthy suspicion because I get it. It can absolutely create some healthy suspicion, some distrust among those of whom we seek to serve and support. And so sister, brother, sibling, loving elders who are perhaps doing this work internal to an institution, I am acutely aware of this, this line that you're often time perhaps treading. This line that you're oftentimes treading to survive, to be effective. How it, it oftentimes involves being palatable <laughs> and pragmatic enough for white folks and leaders and being authentic and accountable to 
the black and brown folks and other marginalized communities you're striving to do the work for and with. And quite frankly, I don't know or think there's a finite answer or resolve to this nuance because systems are messy. But I want to share another affirmation with you. Now, this one, I ain't right for myself. I actually wrote it for someone I love. A Black body working within one of the most scrutinized and harmful systems. One of the most scrutinizing systems that have caused so much harm to other Black bodies, law enforcement. I think this affirmation right might resonate with you, brother, sister, sibling, loving elder, if you too are working within an organization that still hasn't done right or made right the harm caused towards our people. As you sort of work through the muddiness of community and trust building, it reads, if I am working within a white institution that has caused harm towards Black people, I recognize my proximity to whiteness may create distrust among my community. This is not an indictment on me. This is a signal of my responsibility to reassure my allegiance to Black liberation. Mm. This is not an indictment on me. This is a signal of my responsibility to reassure my allegiance. I hope you don't internalize brother, sister, sibling, loving elder. I hope you don't internalize distrust or healthy suspicion as defect in you, as a character flaw in you. I hope you don't see it as the community turning its back on you or not being grateful for you and your work. I hope you see it as the beautiful opportunity it is to reaffirm your commitment to community, to liberation, even in the most incremental of ways. Because if you do, I promise, we see you, <laughs> we see you. When I set intention around collective, it also meant holding myself accountable to not fall into the trap of or feeling compelled to protect, defend, nor prove what I know is divine and a gift to myself and others, y'all. White supremacy culture will have us on this hamster wheel of needing to prove ourselves over and over again. Our ancestor, another one on my ancestral board of directors, Toni Morrison, talks about the distraction that is racism that robs us of our brilliance, striving to outrun this persistent sense of not enoughness. We don't like it there and we deserve better. And so we certainly will not in, in the most loving and accountability of ways, we will not create nor perpetuate 
that same culture or expectation. This prove it again, prove your worthy sentiment in the context of our own communities and businesses and teams we're creating. We certainly will not. We will reimagine different. Y'all remember what Audrey Lord said about the master's tools, never dismantling the master's house. And that, that alone is a whole word. Speaking of the master's tools, an emphasis on the collective means brother, sister, sibling, loving, elder. It means unlearning a scarcity mindset and relearning what it means to embody a spirit of abundance, a way of being that is grounded in this belief, this knowing that there is enough and that there will always be more power, more resources, love, and success, however we define it. And recognizing that this is the opposite of what dominant culture might suggest is the norm, this scarcity mindset, which can have us feeling like there will never be enough of those things. And so we end up protecting and defending our individual gain over community interests. Some of that is grounded in fear. And so as you imagine, <laughs> perhaps you guessed it, I even wrote an affirmation for that. And I'm going to offer it to you as we start to close this love letter, this love note. And it reads, I embody an abundance mindset where we can all be free and have our needs and desires met. I honor each of our roles in making this happen. Some may prepare ingredients, some may cook, and some may choose to serve. Either way, we all eat. Mm. I just wonder, collective, I wonder what that means, what that looks like, what that sounds like, what that feels like to you. I think about how we can fall into the trap of wanting to do the most and miss the opportunity to connect, to build trust, trusting, lasting relationships, being in community. So brother, sister, sibling, loving elder, that's what I want. That's what I want for you, the power in the collective. Particularly when the, when the work, <laughs> particularly when doing the work no longer feels like enough. Now, I want y'all to be honest, fam. When was the last time you unpacked any of this? in a DEI workshop. And there ain't no shade to DEI workshops because y'all already know, I create, the team creates some bombs, some deeply impactful DEI learning experiences. And our souls, our souls need, require, 
and deserve more. These systems and structures are daunting, y'all. And they require our attention. And they can be re-traumatizing as heck. And so in the meantime, sister, brother, sibling, loving elder, can we commit to, can we promise that we will carve out space for our own intrapersonal reckoning, for our own healing, loving, and community? Can we, can we promise to set some intention around clarity, ease, and collective? Because that feels really in reach to me when systems and structures feel daunting and elusive. These feel really in reach to me. And if you ain't sense it already, for real, for real, I want the same for you. In love and liberation, Brittany Janae. Thank you so much, Brittany, for that wonderful podcast. And thank you to our listeners and to our sponsor, Best Buy. To learn more, you can email Brittany directly at Brittany at wintersgroup.com. New episodes of the Forum Podcast are available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.